Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 154 of... And on this episode, I'm talking to Barbara Taylor, who is a fabulous woman. She's 49 years of age and she looks absolutely incredible. And she's a personal trainer, but she's um, not all just about the uh, uh, physical uh, part of training. She talks uh, quite in depth about the uh, mental and emotional uh, parts that you need to get right before you uh before you want to just um, indulge yourself in training. Um, so it's not all about the physical looks and the physical part of training. It, you, we talk about it during the interview. Absolutely brilliant uh, interview with Barbara. Um, at the moment, I'm at home uh, the day after getting a hernia operation. Uh, yesterday, I was in Bon Secours and around, I don't know, about half five yesterday evening, I had my um, hernia sorted out. It was like a bump it's just on my abdomen. Not anymore, it isn't. And it uh, was getting a little bit bigger. It's a bump I've always had, actually, since I was a kid. But it got infected maybe seven or eight years ago and got big and never went down. And then it seemed to be getting bigger when I was doing, uh, started doing weights. Um, Yeah, I think it got, anyway, it looked really obvious and made my torso look like a face because I had like two eyes, my nipples, and then a nose. It was like a little nose and my belly button was a, a mouth. Uh, so I uh, decided after, you know, the lockdown and all that, that I'd get that sorted. And I went into uh, the consultant on, I think it was last Wednesday. And then turns out there was a slot free. 
on Monday because someone had cancelled for the operation. So I went in and got it done yesterday. So I'm sitting at home now. It's a bit sore. Not too bad, though. I just won't be able to do exercise or lift things, heavy things around like that for a while. I haven't even seen it because there's a plaster over it. Uh, and that's what uh, that's what I'm doing with my little hernia operation. And uh, I've been up to f- some things in the last few weeks. I went over to Portugal um, to do a thing called house sitting. I, I joined a, a website called Trusted House Sitter, where you can travel, you know, around the world and look after people's houses and pets. Uh, they all have pets and uh, so I decided I'd give it a go I'll go for a short one um, five days looking after a dog and two cats in Portugal in a house and uh, it was I wouldn't say it went smoothly because on the very first night the guy warned me that the house the front door locked if you closed it you know when it, uh, but there was a key under the flower pot Anyway, if that happened, uh, so just on the very first night, I was on my way to bed and I went, oh, I need the phone charger. Oh, it's in the car. Went out, door closed. I went, oh, God, that did actually happen. Uh, but key under the flower bed pot and uh, went to open it. And then I realized I had the uh, other keys stuck in the keys, the, the lock on the inside. So the key on the outside didn't work. So I was locked outside the house on my first night in Portugal Everything was inside the house, uh, my phone, all the pets, all my luggage, all I had was the car and the car keys and uh, I didn't really know where I was, I was in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, I don't speak Portuguese, um, I tried valiantly to open the door by jiggling the key quite a lot and getting angry and uh, tried to get the dog to come over and maybe jump up and pull the handle down, um, dog didn't do that. And I had to come to the conclusion that I had to break a window to get in. My very first night, Trusted House Sitter is the name of the website. And I'm going to break a window. I had to do it. And it wasn't easy. It's not easy to break a window. It's very hard to, first of all, to just go and do it. And then it windows don't break that easily. So, um... After a few goes, I broke the window and got in to the house and I was very depressed altogether about that. Um, but eventually I did, in fact, through the help of a friend of mine who wrote me a note and stuff, I went out into the town and I asked if there was a glacier around. A glazier, not a glacier. <laughs> Uh, 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 you know, a window fixing fella or girl, and uh, I found one about uh, eight minutes away from the town. And um, after much going in and them not understanding me and stuff, telling me to come back later when there's someone else who can speak English there, and came back in. Um, came back in. The guy could speak a bit of English, not much, but I managed to get him. He came out to the house, followed me in the car, measured the window ordered the window and the day after the owner came back he he called me and said yes they came and fixed the window so i eventually i suppose in one sense i um it was an adventure well you know it's not a relaxing holiday when you're uh breaking windows and trying to get them fixed but um it was a character building you know then I had one night in Lisbon, uh, to just uh, one night and go out and then the next day to hang around Lisbon. And what happens on the night I'm in Lisbon? 
I started talking to this bit of a looper uh, who sat down beside me. I mean, he just sat down. I was into a restaurant where they, the fado, they have fado singing. It's people sing in the restaurant. And um, this fellow sits down. He starts yapping away. And I mean, I, I know he's a bit of a nutcase. But uh, he feckin' spiked my drink. I mean, I knew he was a nutcase and I left when he when he was uh, away. But he bought drinks. He brought uh, he bought me drinks. Uh, and um, he, he must have spiked me because I can't... I didn't drink much. I had a couple of glasses of wine, a couple of glasses of beer. And then he bought the uh, sangria, right? And I drank a bit of that. And then I said, I'm going the minute I can get away from this fellow. I'm going. And then I blanked out. And I literally woke up in my hotel room, lying on my back, fully clothed, on the bed, not under the things. Nothing, you know, I don't know. I just think I got home, but I was like, it was a real struggle. A real struggle, because I just remember trying to figure out why I'm falling asleep all the time. I think I might have fucking sat down and (laughs) fallen asleep, and then got up again and stuff. Oh my god! So uh, what an uh, what uh, a mad six or seven days away, and then I came back. I flew into L- Dublin, had two hours sleep, got back to the airport, flew to the UK to do a couple of gigs uh, in Wigan and Halifax, and they went well. So I'll be doing more gigs, I think, in the UK. Certainly, I'll be doing one before Christmas, but a, a tour next year, uh, and. Um, uh, there's a few gigs coming up here is there? oh yeah I've got a gig on Sunday as well I have a few gigs this week but there's one on Sunday in the meeting two on Sunday in the meeting house square in Dublin um, with the comedy improv improvised comedy uh, from 6 to 7 and then another show from 8 to 9 if you're interested go on Eventbrite and the tickets will be, I don't know, around five or, or something like that. Uh, and uh, it's great crack. Impro- if you haven't seen improvised comedy, it's feckin' amazing. Totally improvised from the from the people uh, in the audience's suggestions. So that's it. Now, here we go. This is Barbara Taylor. And uh, she's absolutely fantastic woman. Uh, brilliant interview. Enjoy it. doing the podcast i i wanted to ask you about because i've seen you on instagram I, you know i know you on and off over the years but um you look amazing though you post your your age so i can say it yeah we're a real shame-based culture in ireland it's like you're either apologizing for your existence or apologizing for your age so i kind of like bark it into or cough it into every sentence because like even in the gym the gym culture has totally changed now even last night I was watching it it's mostly girls girls will like step over you if they don't see that you're lifting some phenomenal weight like you have to earn your space on the gym floor and I've certainly earned mine but I don't lift the weights I used to lift because I a I've got smart and clever and I know that you can train hard without actually doing yourself any damage or injustice, um, you know, and it's all ego training. But, you know, I'm quite proud of the fact that I'm still here and I kind of pushed the whole 
math thing, you know, like Rachel will be like, oh my God, you're so embarrassing. You met Rachel before. Like she's 23 yeah. now. Yeah, she's 23 now and she lives by herself. She's really independent and she trains, but she'd kill me for saying this, but like, I don't think she would have my dedication to training that I still have. Mm. I'm like a terrier with the bone, a bulldog with the bone in terms of my training. And maybe some of it is perfectionism as well, which is not good. But, you know, you always have that inner critic or that critical eye that's always looking at the minus or the the pixel in the image that is, you know, well, that's not quite right. But um, I try to be more relaxed and kind of, you know, enjoy it more today. But I do still take it really seriously. Okay. well, listen, just tell me about the beginning of your journey then. What what, um, started you going to the gym? Well, I started ballet. I studied ballet from the age of four until I was 16. And then I was a competitive gymnast for seven years as well. So I was always active and agile and flexible and a little elastic band. So I discovered weights at 18. Um, I suppose you've guessed by now, I've never followed the herd. And I know the herd mentality now more so is like to go to the gym and train because it's fashionable and it's what everybody does. But people don't consider there was a time where there was no women bodybuilding. It wasn't a thing in Ireland. There was tiny little pocket-sized Irish gyms. Um, We didn't have the influx of multiculture here in Ireland then. So there was no internet. There was no, it was totally autonomous. If you were going to the gym, nobody was there like giving you a badge of honor and an applause for getting on the bus and finding a gym. You had to go out on your feet and source out and go and find a bodybuilding gym. So I started going to Unique Physique, which was a fantastic men's bodybuilding gym in Moore Street um, back in 1990. And I just walked in off the street as a girl, like as a woman, and uh, I kind of edged in beside them. I was very like I had all that kind of insecurity and stuff going on on the inside, but I was able to kind of just fake it to make it. And there was guys in there, huge guys, like all on the Irish team training for the European Championships and everything. And I just kind of sidled up beside them and earned my space and Um, When I look back, like there's still a few guys training in the gym I train in now and uh, they're from the original. Um, And we just give each other a knowing nod and wink of respect. Like they're still there, still doing it, you know. So that's when I started. Were you the only woman in the gym at the time? There was only about three or four because Mm. it wasn't it wasn't it, it wasn't popular it wasn't trendy. And it was there was an awful lot of uh, Irish Irish men into powerlifting at the time. That's kind of not really a thing now um, or it's not as popular. But like that was bigger than bodybuilding or as big. But it was a really small little niche and a really small little groove in Ireland at the time and in Dublin. And there was only a few pockets of really good, small Irish owned gyms. Um, so I just literally just became obsessed with it and I was married to it basically it's like a lover you know it's like there's room for nothing else I would always say if, if, if you're if you're picking a potential mate don't pick somebody who's uh, training for competitions and shows because they're just basically not going to be around all <laughs> uh, right yeah also were you uh, uh, doing shows then and competitions at the time 
No, I never competed. And that was a personal choice of mine because I saw a lot of people kind of behind the scenes, what was happening to them physically, health-wise with taking diuretics and the punishment that your body takes uh, carbon down and cutting up for shows. And then they get a tiny little trophy. Like, you know, that was like something out of a joke shop. And I was like, all of the sacrifice, the cost, the money, like the amount of money that you will put into your nutrition. And there's been huge advances in physiology and sports science and nutrition today. Like you only have to look at the GAA Dublin team. They look like bodybuilders, like some of them. They're like, they're ripped and shredded, you know. Mm. Um, but like back then, like there, there, there wasn't as much money around and there certainly wasn't the quality protein powders and supplementation and protein meal, you know, all the kind of uh, sports packages deals that you get in butchers now where you can mm. get meat that's much more economical to buy. But there was none of that. So like all of your money went into sourcing and getting like desiccated liver creatine your protein powder your food your meats your fish um and then your whole life revolved around planning your meals getting mm. them ready getting them prepared and training and so um, can i ask you just back then in the 90s what were what was what were you getting from this was it just the pleasure of uh, uh lifting and exercising uh was it looking good and i was confidence or what what was it that you um, got from it it's kind of like a jewel-edged sword i mean of course you're gonna get the, the payoff the byproduct is you look well you look good mm. but for me it was more to do with the endorphins and the serotonin rush um of that feeling of strength, that feeling when you knew you were getting stronger, when your weights were get, you know, when you were up in your weights, uh, when you could see the progress in your in your in your in your training on a weekly, monthly basis, that was really what drove me. Um, and unless you've experienced it, it gives you such a rush, mm. and 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 it's something that um that that can become a little bit self destructive as well. It's something that you kind of have to watch it, um. Mm. because I was just consumed with it and I, I every job interview I'd go for I'd sit there and I'd be talking myself out of the interview in my head where they'd be saying like and when would you be able to start and I'd be sitting there kind of going this isn't gonna work with my train I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna do this job and like I'd go for an interview and talk myself out of it because it was like basically training has been my life and my wife or my husband or whatever and uh, I've never married like and and I suppose to a sense that I was able to carve out so much of my time and dedicate it to training but you know you can't you can't sustain a, a life of training if it's just narcissistic or vanity based mm -hmm. because it requires so much self-sacrifice and discipline it's got me through all of the hardest times in my life the most stressful and traumatic times of my life. My training has been a constant where people can't be a constant, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, did you train throughout your pregnancy then and when, you, uh, when your daughter was young as well? Did that interfere with your training? I expected Rachel when I was pregnant. Um, I got to a point where I had speed skates, rollerblades, and I was using them and doing about 15 miles a day on those. And wow. then they were taken off me. Um, and then I was swimming every day and then just towards the end I had to slow down 
But as soon as Rachel was born, I had the wheels worn off. You see, I'm not just one of these. I hate when people call you a gym bunny. Mm. I think you know me. Like, I have weathered all the storms in the mountains hiking. I like to get dirty. I'm an outdoors woman. I always have been. So there's grit and stamina that comes with me. It's not kind of like four reps in the gym for a photograph. And then it's like, oh, it's raining. I can't go outside. <laughs> oh, I got a belt. You know, like yeah. I did the log walk in 2017. And that was 15 hours nonstop self-navigating. And was an amazing guy in my hiking club that I did it with. And it was thanks to his navigational skills. But like I did that and then I got back in my car and drove home and I was in work on the Monday. And like that was like 19 summits in 15 hours. Yeah. And it starts at like it, it starts at this insane time, like uh, four o'clock in the morning. And, you know, in Ireland where you say, oh, it's June, but like that's summer. So it rained and there was constant non-visibility for the whole day. And it was miserable. And you know what the Wicklow Mountains are like as well. It's just pure bog. So for for every elevation that you're climbing, every mountain and peak that you have to climb, you're sinking into inches of bog and having to kind of suck your legs back out. Mm. It's so dexterous and it's so it's it builds up your strength and your stamina so much. But my dad was of the same cloth as well. He was a mm. marathon runner. And then he had a heart attack at the end of a race at 52. And he was told in Santry Stadium, um, you know, you'll never run again by the heart specialist. And then he took that competitive edge into mountain climbing. And he did all the I know there's really famous like uh, challenges now in the mountains, like the Art O'Neill. Maybe you've done it, Joe. It starts at Dublin Castle at midnight and it's basically Red Hugh O'Donnell and Art O'Neill who escaped from yeah. Dublin Castle. But they, they, it's actually, it's some crazy, uh, you, you have to get to checkpoints by a certain time. So all the reason I'm saying this is that my whole fitness career has not just been inside a gym with a roof over it and I do some reps and then I just stand around vacantly yeah. looking at, you know, I, uh, I was a biker, a hiker. Um, my car is constantly sitting in the driveway. Like I, I use my feet, my legs, and I use my bike to go everywhere. I'm kind of the person that's like, why would I want to get the bus or drive to town when I can walk to the city centre? Yeah. You know, I, I encompass activity into everything I do, mm. basically. So, oh yeah. So that, I was actually just going to ask you. It's not a. It's not really just about the gym. It's totally not just about the gym. Yeah. And 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 so, but the gym helps you to be stronger for walking or climbing or even long distance running it depends on your your distance and i was only talking to a guy in the gym last night giving him a bit of feedback about he he does jujitsu and i knew by his flexibility and mobility that's another thing i wanted to say nobody who goes to the gym predominantly okay i won't say nobody that's a sweeping statement nobody puts a value on flexibility and mobility it's all about they want to look a certain way mm. and nobody is incorporating doing flexibility and mobility into their training sessions and then if you want to lift heavier you're only going to cause um lack of range of movement around the joint the, the bigger you get if you're not doing flexibility work you just get stiffer and stiffer so mm. i started studying pilates as a teacher 
in 2018 and I qualified in 2019. So it's given me a whole insight into uh, spinal articulation and vertebral, like your vertebrae and your spine, you get inflexible from sitting down and the kind of jobs we do. And most people are driving to the gym after sitting at a desk all day and then they do a workout and they do load bearing exercises with really heavy weights. Then they get back in their car they don't do any sort of flexibility work or to stretch out the tendons, ligaments and tissue. Uh, yeah. And then they go home and sit in the sofa and then they go to bed and they repeat, repeat, repeat. And what is happening is I hear people in the industry all the time. Um, like I'm a massage therapist as well. But you hear physios and everything saying like people have the spinal health of 80 year olds at 40 in this day and age. Um, because we're not putting a value on actually getting up and, and working those elements into our routines, you know, because we're too focused on how we look as opposed to how we feel. Um, mm -hmm. And especially if you're doing heavy legwork in the gym. Um, the guy I was talking to last night who competes in jiu-jitsu, I was watching him from a distance for the past few weeks because I noticed he does loads of flexibility work with kettlebells that incorporate strength and conditioning exercises into his flexibility work and I knew I said you do martial arts don't you and I said is it predominantly blocks and kicks or punching so he told me it was jiu-jitsu and then I could see why because if you continue to just do the same routine year in year out week in week out and keep adding up the weight you're just causing shortening of the muscle and tightening and something's going to snap eventually, you know. I'm sure you've experienced that yourself around running where you're not giving yourself enough time to kind of warm up and cool down. Yeah, yeah. I've had problems with, with uh, hamstring, calf. and uh, But actually now I'm not running as much and I'm doing other exercises and, uh, and that's much better. Uh, I find yeah. I'm actually running barefoot now on the beach. I'm only doing 5K. I'm just trying to get my 5K time down and then I'll yeah. go to 10K. But uh, so if you're, you're doing, a, you, you are a personal trainer, okay? Yeah? Yes. And so what would, yeah. would you, what will you do if somebody um, contacts you uh, for personal training? Is, is it overall a diet as well as? Well, unfortunately, people don't want to hear this, but it is genetics, too. And somebody can't come to me who looks like they can compete on the discus team and say they want to get to a place like Kylie Minogue. And you're like, it's not genetically possible, dude, you know. Mm. Um, so you're working within that. But everything is achievable. But really, I always try to impress, especially on women, but men as well. If your foundation is starting from self-deprivation and self-loathing, you're starting on an unstable, destructive foundation. And it doesn't matter how much work and sacrifice you put in. You're always going to be, it's like that stupid feeling and you acquire 45 master's degrees and you still feel stupid. It's like if you don't cultivate self-love and kind of liking yourself to start with and building on that, you're never going to be able to stay away from the kitchen cupboards. You're going to be attacking packets of biscuits I'm really seeing from a lot of studies that I've done in the past four years, okay, I, I, I had focused all of my energy and obsessiveness on the outside, the shell, mm. and on the inside, I was paper thin um, because I'd grown up in a 
toxic home with just complete denial of anything and chronic trauma. Um, I didn't know that I, I carried PTSD and I've only learned, I'm a big fan, I can't say it because I'm from Dublin, Dr. Gabor Matei, is it? I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I don't He's know. A, one of the leaders in his field around uh, trauma because we're absolutely obsessed with talking about substance abuse in Ireland and we focus on that as a pivotal point and a focus of attention as opposed to what has happened to that person. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody isn't an alcoholic or a drug addict or a this or a that. It's what has happened to them and how do we deal with that or try to not deal with it in this country? Um, and I've noticed that people set themselves apart from me the more that I've gone inward and started to work on the inside because then it, it threatens people's own sense of what they haven't dealt with or impact. Um, so while I still train hard and, you know, I'm very into looking after myself, that has come at a cost of years of self-abuse and acting out through alcohol abuse, um, having an eating disorder in my teens, in my 20s. Like even when I was pregnant on my daughter, I had an eating disorder and the amount of guilt and shame I had around that. And what I have actually found is endemic that I really want to talk about more as a personal trainer and platformer for kind of holistic health, not how you look. Like health has to encompass mental, emotional, physical and spiritual. And we're such a shame-based culture in Ireland we will do anything to get out from under looking at generational shame and trauma. And I mean, it's only in recent years we can still see how riddled in our psyche, in the Irish psyche, um, shame and trauma is. And that's what we've come out of. But I don't think enough has been kind of. I don't think enough work has been done and research into this and enough people have looked at it within the construct of their own life and their own upbringing and their own families to actually say, how does this affect my entire life? Not just aspects of my life. I mean, I never realized even around finances, I would have experienced financial trauma and maybe for you as well at a certain point, or it it depends on what you've experienced growing up as well. That's, if you've experienced scarcity or your parents have kind of conditioned you into this critical kind of voice in your head every time you spend money or, you know, going around switching off all the lights in the house and you've got four teenagers and of course they're going to leave all the lights on and nagging at, at a significant other about the cost of groceries and all that kind of stuff that is impressioned into us from our families and our upbringings and society as well. And I think a new neurosis in Ireland has very much become fitness addiction. And unfortunately, it's congratulations because people look at how you look and they go, well done, go you. And I always try to say to young people getting into it, don't just follow somebody on Instagram and because of how they look, say, oh, well, that's it now. I'm going to do what they do. You don't know the backstory of how they live. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know how they look after themselves or rather don't. Um, And you don't have a bigger picture because you don't see 20 years on the after effects or, you know, look at them now. Mm. Um, And like for me growing up, I carried that into training. And while training was a positive because I wouldn't have survived the things that have happened to me in my lifespan without having training as a support mechanism. 
Um, but I certainly used it to avoid feelings and I stuffed feelings down anywhere I could push them. And I am experiencing and encountering the amount of people that come to me. And initially it's about fitness or personal training. And then when we have a dialogue, they start to hear in my language that I've done work on myself and I've experienced some harrowing things in my life. And that's where they start to feel vulnerable and comfortable enough to get vulnerable and honest. And then when they start breaking down what's gone on for them in their life, they're doing the same thing. It's all minimalization and saying something like, you know, well, they did the best they could. And I do understand that, but that has to be put aside at one point and saying, how has what has happened to me impacted me in my life and my decisions and my judgments and my ability to forge long-standing relationships with other human beings and with myself because I never realized I grew up feeling unlikable because that's what was impressioned into me growing up by my parents and so I was always feeling that I couldn't get into a group of people and you know blend in and I'd always be on the outside looking in, but I felt like I didn't have what it takes to be a part of a group. And so I spent 20 years of my life training in gyms by myself and I was painfully lonely, but I also masked that with my training. Mm. And while it helped me to cope with it, it was reinforcing it all the more because I hadn't unpacked all that and dealt with it. I didn't realize that I had this really deep rooted core belief that I was unlikable and that I was worthless or I wasn't good enough. And so I would always strive to train harder, be better, and then I'll be loved. And then I'll love myself. And then my parents will love me or, and then he loved me or, and then they love me. And, mm. and no amount of that ever is enough to actually make yourself believe in yourself or feel like, when am I going to reach a point in my life where I say, I don't have anything to prove. I am, I am worthwhile. I am lovable. Um, you know, and, and what's really tragic around trauma as well and has been my experience. I've only started to scrape the surface this year in terms of all of that stuff. I never realized how I would go into these pockets of immobilizing fear. And it's like a paralysis sets in your body and your brain can't remember an old memory, but your body remembers because you've stored it. Um, and how that would stop me doing things in my life that I wanted to achieve. So anytime that that came up for me, like taking on a new academic uh, study, going back to university, taking on a new job, my mind would look for an out, how to not do it, kind of, oh, I left a cake in the oven, I can't do that. And they could be brilliant opportunities for me to expand and grow, but I was self-sabotaging myself the whole way along mm -hmm. because I hadn't dealt with that stuff that happened to me growing up. Um, and that's why I wanted to mention that as part of my kind of whole ethos on training and my life. Um, I also used it as a double-edged sword kind of against myself. Um, but it, it's also sustained me through the most crippling, hardest parts of my life as well. Um, but I really think there isn't enough research and there isn't enough dialogue and discussion around shame in our culture and shame in our families because I know every family has it there's topics there's relations there's things that happen and they're buried in the back of the cupboard and it's mm. like we don't talk about that and there's always one in the family that's a scapegoat or if, if if a family was like on a chessboard 
you're you're keep being reassigned back to your designated spot um and old scripts being handed back to you and as you continue to grow and develop and set boundaries and learn to say no um people will just keep handing you back an old script and wanting to relate to you the way they always have mm. but as dynamics change and you get more strong in yourself um and i think that's something we're very weak in 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 ireland as well saying no we haven't grown up in a culture where it's it's safe to say no Mm. um how many people do you know that say no when they say yes when they want to say no and on all of that stems for me around having no boundaries growing up um never being safe um and and being and then as a, a as an adult woman being in unsafe relationships and being around people because it was very familiar and what I knew um placing myself in dangerous places um with unsafe people and it's I've had to learn and figure all this out myself no god that sounds but so well put so articulate but are you saying that if you're getting a if you're abused when you're young then you put yourself in abusive situations well it's familiar to you and I know for a fact um, from I've started reading people like John Bradshaw on toxic shame because there's a difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. Healthy shame is a feeling like I did something and, you know, that was the wrong thing to do. I wouldn't do that. I won't do that again. Or I, I, I said the wrong thing to that person. Toxic shame is like other people's shame projected into you, as in I am the shame. I don't feel ashamed. I am the shame. And we don't even notice when that is triggered for us on a daily basis. Um, mm. An awful lot of people I know in Ireland, one of them is a common one, is like um, that sense of embarrassment if any attention is drawn to them. And then you have to say, well, wh- where's that coming from? Like what happens for you that you feel scrutinized by people? If Say if you're with somebody with a big personality and they're very loud and you're in a bar. Yeah. And somebody starts saying to them, like, you know, you're you're causing me embarrassment. You're 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 making a spectacle of us. And the person is just enjoying themselves and being louder yeah. than normal. Or well, there's a lot of uh, phrases that get thrown at you sometimes when you're a kid, like, who do you think you are? Or good for nothing, you know. Your parents would say, You're good for nothing, you know, which is a, yeah. a horrible phrase, yeah. Um to say to a child. Yeah. Um well, thanks for sharing. And like it's, no, it's, and it's not that I'm saying that, you know, um, it, it's not to scathe or criticise parents or a way, a, a, a manner of upbringing. But I think in Ireland, we do the safe thing again of always like we did, they did the best they could or um, mm. get over yourself or that was just the way it was back then. We need to be able to put that aside and kind of say, has things in certain things in my life or aspects affected me in a way that I am replicating them as an adult yeah. in my adult life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise you'll bring that trauma forward to the next generation. I think Well, it, it, it's, it's a cycle and it's repetitive. Um, and we don't realize when we're engaging in self-destructive. You, how many people do you see that are, have a dismissive avoidant personality type where if something comes up for them that is an old 
hurt feeling that they haven't dealt with say like in a bad relationship they were in one before Mm. and they're in a new relationship and something just happens for them in the relationship and it triggers them and suddenly then they've completely shut down the moat is drawn up they're completely uncommunicative and then they're trying to end the relationship or they've completely distanced themselves or they're closed off emotionally come on sissy that pod let's get Thickening! Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, Sissy That Pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right, whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. I'm uh, just going to concentrate on one thing now because I really, um, I'm a, your abs are amazing. How do you, how did you get there? <laughs> I'll tell you why, because that's another core, well, pardon the pun, core. I've always valued having strong core. And there's a difference between abs. And I wouldn't have known this years ago because it was like I had the gym mentality. And can I just say that for anyone who's listening, you think you're going, you know this, Joe, you think you're going to be 30 forever. You think you're going to be 25 forever. People will say to you, you know what you're doing there. That's going to result in. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get older and you start to realize wear and tear, wear and tear. It does catch up on you. Your body cannot perform. That's why GAA, like top of their game, they retire. They can't play in Krog Park for their entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, my core is, is something that I've always invested in. But since I discovered, and I suppose from ballet and gymnastics, I knew it was important. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I, since I trained in Pilates and qualified, I realized the importance that your abs are just what you see in the mirror or what you see on me in the gym. But mm. your core is the deep intrinsic, the deep muscles, tendons and limbic. And they're basically like, you know, a hammock. So that encompasses mm. your whole midriff. So it's your sides, your lower back and your front. And if you have a weak core, you're always going to be susceptible to injury mm. um, and, and a lot of strain. Because with a strong core, you can do everything heavier and you'll be stronger. Um, I, I really invest and in, I do core in every workout. And I know that sounds crazy. My workouts are two hours and I have my phone off. So I only have my music on download mm. and I will work solidly. So I never used to train like that, but I don't take any rest between sets. So I do core work, press ups. Then I'm lifting weights. I'm resting from weights. I do my core again. I have my leg weights on and I'm, I hit, I attack my core from the sides. I have sideline exercises. I do different um, front frontal core exercises. Your mm. quadratus lumborum is your lower back. And you need to have a strong, it's like a, it's like a girdle. It was like what uh, James T. Kirk was missing in the original Star Trek. Do you remember <laughs> you always look? soft and pudgy around the middle like that was his weak point so you have a weak spot and it's always going to come back and bite you you know um so i i do core in every workout and i would spend two hours in the gym now two hours of the gym encompasses flexibility and mobility at Mm -hmm. the end 
And people look at me, I know they do, and they say, my God, you train really hard. And I'm like, I don't know any different. I've nothing to compare it to. Mm. But I will take two days off or more if I need it. And yeah. I'm probably going to take a week off the week after next. Uh, and so you use your core when you're do- Are you engaging your core in every exercise? Is that when you're doing any weights or... Uh, I don't know, squat. You're engaging your core in the shower, getting out of bed, bending down to pick up a spoon. And the the amazing thing was Joseph Pilates, he wouldn't have got away with it. Now, he worked originally with ballet dancers and opera singers because it's all about the breath. And he used to follow them into the shower rooms and changing rooms to watch how they moved and to watch their posture. So you would incorporate that into your running. Your core is vital in your running as well as hiking. Um, most oh. of the professional athletes today uh, do Pilates or incorporate right. Pilates into their regime. OK, well, that's what I have. Uh, I'm starting on a journey of improving my core. So... Uh... Journey to the Earth's core. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, listen. Anyway, so it, it, it's really nice talking to you. Like you look amazing, and um, you know you're 40, 49, You just look so fit and amazing. And uh, thank must- you very much. Like I don't see myself that way. I kind of like I know I'm forty nine. I know I look fit and healthy, but it's more a case of saying, you know. I need to accept myself exactly as I am. I've nothing to prove anymore. And I really don't. I can leave the 22 year olds to doing their big in the gym and lifting these gastronomic weights and snapping their spines in half. I just, I just do my thing in the corner. And uh, I just love to know that I'm still doing it after all these years. And hopefully, you know, I'll be still doing it when I'm 60. Absolutely, of course, and and further on, I'd imagine. Um, well, uh, maybe I'll take up paragliding. I always wanted to do fencing because that is encompasses mobility, strength, flexibility, um, like gymnastics. So I yeah. might take that up. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I did my first bit of rock climbing uh, during the summer in Dingle, and I really loved it. So um, that's something I'd like to do. Yeah, you could have a hidden natural asset there. You'd be the man from Milk Tray climbing over <laughs> large <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a box of chocolates between yeah. your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I did it in Dingle. I did. I just did three climbs. But I mean, you should have heard the language out of me at the same time when I got to a difficult bit. I was person and <laughs> but uh but i really enjoyed it um so yeah that's something i'd like to do and a bit more walking i was in portugal but i didn't do that much walking but you've you've done lots of walks in portugal have you yeah hmm. i have walked all over europe and this is where i say it's so much more than the gym it's the getting on a plane by yourself I never say alone by the way i watch my language around all that stuff i will book a one-way flight get on a plane and decide where I'm flying to, not have a ticket return back, book back and go off and do a Camino by myself. And I've done the Portuguese Camino. I've done the French Camino. I don't know how many times I've done the Camino Primitivo, which is the original one through Mm -hmm. the mountains of Asturias. And I have such a sense of inner confidence in just, if I want to do something, I just go and I do it. Um, I love walking. Um, I just find last last year I walked for two months um, in the Alentejo region in Portugal. And that was amazing. It was really, really beautiful. 
And where did you did you stay in places or did you camp or what did you? Um, camping is actually illegal in Portugal, okay. wild camping. I don't know where they get this jargon these days of wild camping. And I'm like, why? What's what other type of camping is there bar in the world? But um, I we stayed in all different uh, places. So every day I was walking somewhere new. I was doing the Rota Vincentina, which is the historical trail. And it's not a Camino. So there's no hordes of people to get yeah. a pilgrim's credential at the end um i loved the camino years ago but after antonia or emilio estevez released that movie it kind of went to pot it was like so many i'm writing my blog and i'm on the camino <laughs> and you're just like oh no another one Jesus. <laughs> but there's so many routes um the via francipina if you could financially afford this get this it starts at uh, canterbury cathedral yeah. And you go all the way to Ro- you go all the way to Rome through a pass in the Swiss Alps that's only possible for a number of weeks in the spring summer months. Um, and oh, it's amazing. And, and, and yeah. how long would that take? Do you think? Like how long would it? Be? Uh, a long time, and it would be quite expensive. I know in the really? Italian part of it. Uh, restaurants don't open till nine o'clock at night so you've been walking all day and you're starving so you end up living on ice cream really <laughs> which is okay which is okay it's a fair that's a fair swap i love that about um, the uh, mediterranean or even in france as well where they, they just close and they go no we this is our culture we open at nine you know it's <laughs> great i know but it's no good to somebody getting up at 6 a.m to start walking no <laughs> No, well, that sounds really amazing. That sounds like one of those things that you should do in life, walk from Canterbury. I know, and what's really sad is I was meant to go over and start working with an American I met on the Camino. He bought an alberque. You would have liked his story. He was an ex, uh, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street. So he was like co- mm. cocaine addict, this addict, that addict. And mm. he, he had blitzed his life. He had burnt it to the ground. So... Uh, he was recovered and everything, and he'd opened an alberque in um, Asturias in the mountains um, up in northern Spain. But um, before I got over to visit him and come and work with him in his alberque, uh, he died of lung cancer. So I was really sad about that. He had done all the Caminos in the Basque, French Basque region. There's so many trails that we don't know about. Another one worth looking at is the GR10. That runs from Banyuls and the West Coast near kind of Barcelona side all the way through the Pyrenees. So, you know, the ski resorts during the winter, this would be in the summer and spring when all the snow is melted mm. and you, you stay in jeets in the mountains. Um, and it's really, really like isolated. You'd have to have some, you'd have to have navigation skills skills and you'd be eating desiccated dried food with water added to it etc my dad did that twice my dad in his 70s get this he did a k2 base camp and the annapurna circuit in nepal in the himalayas in his like 72 75 he did that twice um my dad had completed the lug walk that i did he had completed 44 of those by the time he was, his last one was when his mid-70s. Wow. So, 
age is really just a number, you know. I just think it's an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck, man, I really want to do one of those walks then. So I better learn. I better learn some navigational skills. Um, but listen, it's been really nice talking to you. And if people want to contact you, you're on uh, Instagram there, of course, and uh, uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I can I can give you my email address as well if you if you have any feedback or anything. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. There you go, Barbara Taylor. You can find her on Instagram if you want to contact her. Uh, get drop me a line, or get her. Uh, I'll get you in contact with her, or get her on Instagram and Facebook. Barbara PT Personal Trainer. And um, next week, I think yes, I'll be talking to Carol McDermott. He used to do the stand-up circuit uh, years ago, but uh, now he's got a book out. And uh, I'll have to read that now in the next day and uh, interview him. Um, uh, yeah, so that'll be what I'm doing next week. Yeah, in the meantime, and then and then I start college in a couple of days. Should be started already, but I had this uh, operation. But I'm going to start college. It's all go. It's all the bleeding go these days. Uh, yeah, I'm going to study multimedia in DCU. So what with hernia operation, throwing stones through windows, getting spiked in Lisbon, doing gigs in Wigan, and uh, what else? Starting college. It's all go. Yeah. All right. See you now. See you next week. Good luck, boy. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonics therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonics therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.